Welcome to the Highland Good Food Podcast. My name's Laura Dorrant and I'm a teacher. So I strongly believe that education is a vital part of a sustainable and fair food system. For this episode then, we'll be exploring the role that education and training can play in the Highlands. Let's dive straight in. I'm here at the Glaffberg Croft Centre on the Black Isle with David Spooner, the manager. Hi, David. Hi, Laura. Thanks so much for talking to me today. You're welcome. And thanks for showing me around this beautiful site. It's been a pleasure to have you here, to be honest. <laughs> could you um, could you tell us, so all the listeners, maybe haven't heard of Glaffberg before, what is the Croft Centre? What happens here? Mm-hmm. Well, Glaffberg Croft is a small working farm on the Black Isle. Uh, we have about 14 acres on site, about 12 of which is agricultural land. Um, arguably pride of place is our main center building, um, which is a, an eco building, um, which uses a number of sensitive design features and, and local, uh, locally sourced products to, to have been built. Um, I, I noticed the turf roof. Is that right? That is yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's, it's interesting when that gets cut, I'll tell you actually. Um, but yes, uh, huge South facing windows allows a lot of light, a lot of heat in. Um, and uh, all locally sourced timber, locally uh, sourced architects and builders and whatnot. Um, moving away from that, we have uh, 12 acres of fields on which we have uh, cattle, Shetland cattle, um, sheep. Um, we also have chickens. We also have guinea pigs as well. Oh, I didn't uh, see them. No, they don't, <laughs> they don't form part of the working farm, okay. um, but they're a great uh, resource to, to work with with, our, with the youngsters that visit. And really, youngsters visiting, that comes to, to the main point of what Blackberry Croft is. Um, although we are a working farm, uh, our principal business is, is providing support to people with additional support needs. Um, and that doesn't matter about what the age of that individual is. It doesn't matter how complex their needs are. If there's a way that we, as a business and as a, individuals, can support those people, then we will. Um, so currently, we have people as young as about eight with us. Uh, and our oldest placement is uh, up in their mid-50s. Um, basically, any way that we can provide support, we do. It could be something as simple as somebody feeding the birds or collecting the eggs. Uh, it could be helping somebody cook their own uh, meal. It could be someone cooking a meal with ingredients that they've grown out in the polytunnel. Um, but on the other side of that coin, it could be something completely different. It could be teaching a young man or woman how to drive a tractor. Uh, it could be teaching somebody how to turn over a you and click their feet. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's a resource that we have and we use that resource to, to help people. And you were telling me earlier that um, some people who come here and they're learning life skills and also skills for employment as well. So yeah, that's yeah. a possibility. I mean, we, we live, obviously, you know, the Black Isle is, is a, a predominantly uh, rural agricultural environment. There's obviously a lot of tourism and, and, and things around as well. But everywhere you turn, there are fields, there are farms, there's forestry. Um, and we try and identify ways that we can we can teach skills that are relevant to that environment. Now, we don't do things like butchery on site, but we raise sheep. So we raise lambs, we raise cattle. So we have calves and they will enter the food chain. So by having those animals, those, those livestock here with us, uh, we can't teach the, the skills that create the end product, but we teach the skills and the awareness of where that end product comes from. And that if you're going to go to a butcher's and buy a burger, this is where it's end, this is where it's come from. Um, and uh, that's a really important thing to understand because food doesn't come from the supermarket. The supermarket and the shop is the end point of a process that began 
potentially two and a half years or, or, or more ago. Um, and that's really important to, to know. Um, there's one particular example that stands out, wasn't to do with the livestock, but was to do with apples. We have an orchard on site. Um, it's not a big orchard, but it's really productive. And there's the fantastic time of year um, where uh, we get to harvest those apples. We'll press them, we'll make our own apple juice and we'll pasteurize it. That's all educational in its own right. And our youngsters are able to take some of that apple juice home with them. And there was an occasion where uh, we had a, a very thankful parent on the phone and they said, thank you. And I, I was a bit taken aback because it was just a bottle of apple juice. <laughs> but it wasn't the apple juice they were thanking um, before. It was the fact that they didn't realise their son didn't know that apple juice came from apples. And that was one of those things that sounds like a cliche you hear about in the news. You didn't realise that was a real thing but it was sincere. They didn't realize that their son hadn't made that connection. And that's quite worrying, if, if you like. It wasn't anybody's fault. It was just something that had been missed in their upbringing. They hadn't made that connection. And so if we can begin to help people understand that your blackcurrant jam has come from blackcurrant bushes, just like the ones that we've got here. And those eggs in the shop have come from chickens, just like the ones that we've got here. And your lamb chops and your sausages and your beef and, and all of these things. This is the sort of place that it comes from and helping people understand that is just critical. And walking around today, it's such a healthy environment. It just looks and feels like a very healthy environment. Mm -hmm. um, and so am I correct in thinking this place was sort of founded in 2002, is that right? Yeah, so the, the, the couple that um, took over uh, Glachberg and then, and then set it up as a business uh, moved onto the farm in 2002 it started to sort of take embryonic form, if you like, about 2002, 2003. Um, the, the pride of place, the real centre building, the eco building, that was built a few years later. Uh, and in the years since, it's really evolved into what we've got today. Uh, the original aim was, was to maybe focus more on school groups, but it was realised that the educational budget probably just wasn't there. However, the budget for providing one-to-one -one or one-to-two or occasionally small group support was there because there's a, a real shortage of, of you know support in that way mm. uh, and that's what the business has grown into today is, is providing that highly targeted person-centered support to, to people in the highlands and around the Black Isle. And you've had um, events here as well is this an event space? Yes yeah, yeah. so the, the main center building in the past has been used for conferences for AGMs for training um, but much more exciting than that it's been used for uh, a folk club um, with local musicians coming along. Uh, we've had some uh, small concerts here as well. Um, there's even, uh, it was a bit before my time here, but there's even been one or two small music festivals uh, that were held here. Um, and it's fantastic. It's a space that can be used for, for all sorts. It feels like a real gem. Yeah, it really it, does. It, it, having, it having just um, been here today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's lovely. It's a lovely space. Um, so just sort of wrapping up, um, looking towards the future. So you, you've become manager very, very recently, haven't yes, you? Yes, I have. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. you're in a big transition yourself. Um, and where are you, you going to take the Glackbeg Croft Centre? Have you got any visions for the future? Is there anything that you're doing currently that you're just going to keep doing? And is there anything that's not happening that you would like to introduce? Yeah, I mean, wow, that's, that's a real question because it feels <laughs> like in some ways you could probably start talking and still be here in an hour's time. I think, <laughs> I think the, the focus, um, the bottom line underpinning everything at the moment is, is we work with a lot of individuals. Um, 
making sure the level of support we provide to those individuals is paramount. And in that respect, nothing is going to change because what we do works. But that would also be quite a short-sighted view to take. And so um, we're going to be looking, as, as we go into the future, we're going to be looking at ways that we can evolve what already exists and what already works. And maybe there are things that we can do around the farm that I'm not going to say improve, but change things, change land use slightly. You know, if there's a patch of unused ground, well, what happens if we try and grow a whole load of tatties in there? We already have tatties in the vegetable patch, but what if we've got this square 100 metres? What if we use that? What can we do with that? What skills can we learn? Because that might be big enough to use agricultural equipment instead of spade and a fork. So we want to find ways, if we can, of um, uh, introducing food that's been grown locally into local communities um, in a way that maybe at the moment we haven't been able to do. Sure. And that could be something like tatties. Or it could be the black currants. Maybe it's making black currant jam and, and giving it to people locally and, and things like this or selling it. And, and, and so just finding those ways, almost little just gaps that, that, that are there that can be filled in. The changes don't always, um, can't always be huge, can they? No, no, they can't. They can't. And I think as well, one of the things, you know, we, we are lucky because we do produce food. We do produce meat. We do produce eggs. We do produce a small harvest of vegetables and, and crops. Um, but we also, as odd as it sounds, we produce skills. And if we can, if we can identify ways around the farm where we can do things a little bit differently, we can grow different things, we can use the land differently, we may only end up with another extra 200 kilos of potatoes at the end of the year. But it might be that what's gone into those 200 kilos of, of potatoes is 50, 60, 70, 80, 200 hours of skills, learning, of responsibilities and education. And that's worth an awful lot in itself, as well as the end result of the food. Absolutely. David, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you today. Thank, Thank you, you so much. If you'd like more information about the Glachbeg Croft Centre, go to glachbeg.org.uk. I think the work that David and the team are doing there highlights the importance of inclusion. When we're looking at a whole food system for the highlands, we have to carefully consider what that means in practical terms. One of the things it means is providing opportunities as diverse as the needs of the population. Glachbeg is a wonderful example of how this can happen. Because as David said, they don't only produce food, but they produce skills as well. Another highland education site that does just this is the Loch Abba Rural Education Trust. I went to Loch Abba on a typically rainy day and spoke to the founder, Isabel Campbell. So here I am at the Loch Abba Rural Education Trust with Isabel Campbell, who's the founder of the centre. Isabel, when did you set this place up? Well, the actual building was opened in 2005, but working with school children on my craft at Camagill started in 1979. And so why was this place set up? Why well, did you do that? Uh, it was because I built a new auction mart, Ben Nevis Auction Mart, in, uh, was opened in 1999 by Princess Anne. And that was because the old mart would not be kept open. And I managed to raise 1.3 million for the community, not for me, for the community, 
And when I did that and it was open, I wanted to build an outdoor classroom where children would learn where their food comes from, how to cook, how to bake, and most of all, how to grow it. So in the past 17 years now, who's been through your doors and what have they done here? Well, thousands of children have come through this centre, mostly from primary schools. We have had certain uh, groups from secondary schools as well and certain groups that went down to the auction mart and we organised real days for them with different um, cattle men, shepherds, auctioneers, where they could find out what jobs would be available for them other than going to university. But at primary school children, they come from schools all around the area and they, they book in and some of them were on a 16-week Grow Your Own Seed to Supper course. So what does that involve, Seed to Supper course? Well, that is, it's run by volunteers. Everything here is done by volunteers because of the lack of funding. Um, they start preparing the raised beds, planting potatoes, sowing seeds, uh, sowing flowers and everything. In a, we have polytunnel here, we have greenhouses here, and we have some super raised beds which are protected from the deer by like a big fence. <laughs> so that's our setup here. And we have a super kitchen, um, a teaching kitchen and a big classroom uh, where we teach the children and kids love baking and cooking and eating it, of course. Of course. And um, I have a museum of my childhood, which goes away back to the 40s. And uh, we make butter in the churn and we have lots of things here to do with horses and harness and all sorts of things that children learn what life was like um, when I was their age. That's the element of it. When I was their age, no running water, no telephone, no inside toilet um, and nothing really. We had a farm. We milked our cows, we made butter, we made crowdy, we had hens, we sold eggs, we sold milk. That was our life. And we grew all our own vegetables. And why do you think that's important to pass on those skills? We are going to run out of being natural people doing natural rural things. To, to teach people how to be self-sufficient that's what we're losing. And so for you, from what I've seen here today and from talking to you, that starts with education. Am I, am I right? Yes. Yes. And the sad thing nowadays, well, we have no money. This, uh, we have a major problem now. I'm getting old, very old. And all our volunteers, like myself, are white in the hair and in the late 70s. And there is no money in the schools to send pupils here. There's no money for paying the transport, which is the dearest thing of schools coming out here. At the moment, I have a class coming in every week from a school five miles away, and it costs them £120 a trip to get 
20 children brought to the centre for an hour or so's gardening and then taken back to school. A lot of money. Um, but you've just identified your challenge. So going forward, you know, how how's the trust going to survive going forward? Because up until now, it's been really dependent on you and the volunteers, hasn't it? It has. And that's been quite honest since funding ran, ran out and funding's been very, very difficult to get. And we are not backed by any agricultural organisation, which is quite sad because uh, the, the Royal Highland Education Trust in Edinburgh, which does similar to what we're doing here, is uh, backed by the Royal Highland Agricultural Society and also has lots of channels of funding. We have got nothing. And although I've had first ministers sitting in this building, I've had MPs sitting in this building, I have pleaded with them to get us as one of these exceptional educational centres that they would put funding in. And so far, I haven't been successful. So I really don't know where we go now. Okay. And so in terms of where you're physically located, um, what part do you play and what part have you played in the community? You know, why is it so important to keep this place going? Well, I don't belong here. I belong to near Bewley. And in 1970, I married the local auctioneer here and came down here. But all my life, my life has been either running a sports club for kids when I was young or a social club or working at the auction mart, working with the local vets. My life has been in agriculture mm. and the community means an awful lot to me and my heritage. Everything I'm showing children now, I learned from my mother. And I think it's terribly important when I set the trust up. And so just before we finish off, I'd love to hear um, a bit more about uh, what's happened at this centre. So obviously you've had schools coming in to learn to grow and to cook, but there's yes. lots of other things that have happened here over the years. So could you just tell us a little bit more about that? Well, yes, we've been open to anything and everything, and we've had courses for weaving, courses for spinning, courses almost in anything, butchery, um, which was very, very successful, done by local butchers. Um, frankly, anything and everything, uh, willow weaving, just rural skills. And we also work a lot with children with learning difficulties. And we had a three-year NHS um, a active, healthy and achieving project and that was absolutely first class where we had uh, up to 20 children with difficulties learning life skills and after that several of these children got jobs. Now that was a success of it. Absolutely and you were telling me earlier about you met somebody, a nurse in a hospital, who remembered you from when you had children on your croft. That's right, because that's how all this started off, as I said. We met in 79, and I would take the, the, the children out to the croft at Camagill at lambing time. And being lying on the slab in Rigmore, having a hip operation, and the, the theatre sister said, I know you. And I thought, well, you can't really know me. But she was 
from Fort William and she had been out at the Croft at lambing time when she was in primary school. And that to me is the beauty of education, isn't it? It is. At the time, you don't know where those seeds that you're planting, you know, those ideas that you're, yes. that you're sharing with the children, you don't know where they're going to lead, do you? No, you're you don't trying. know who or how many people you've actually um, affected no. positively. And put something, a thought in their mind that they can do this. And in, in these um, agricultural days, we had, as I say, we had people with horses, people with cattle people with sheep, um, a weaver spinner, forestry was represented, um, auctioneers were represented, and it was to tell pupils that you don't need to go to university, you can go out into the country and get a job, and that is very satisfying. Passing on those skills to the next generation. That's right. Just in the past 15 years, there's so much that's happened here and so much good that's happened here. It's a very challenging time for you and I really hope that there's a way forward for the right. Rural Education Trust. Thank you, Laura. I really hope that somebody will come with the passion that I have and the passion that you have I share with for you. your job <laughs> um, and, and save our heritage and teach children their heritage and how to go forward. If you'd like to support the Lochaber Rural Education Trust, then please follow them on Facebook. Just look for Lochaber Rural Education Trust and you'll find more information about how you can visit and get in touch with them. I really appreciated the emphasis that Isabel placed on community, heritage and culture. And it reminded me of the Sheeling Project in Strathfarran near Bewley because both places work so hard to empower children and young people by teaching them through an exploration of their heritage skills that will enable them to stay in the Highlands to live and work if they choose to do so. And, and this is just the point, choice. Because if we're to grow a food system in the Highlands that's sustainable, then this has to include employment for now and for future generations. Now we couldn't have a podcast episode about education and training without speaking to a local school. So our final conversation is with the head of two rural schools on the west coast of the Highlands. He tells us about their fantastic Grow, Cook, Compost project. Hi, Tom. Thanks so much for talking to me. Um, could you introduce yourself, please, and also the schools that you work at? My name is Tom O'Halloran, and I am the head teacher of two small schools on the west coast of the Highlands, uh, Shieldig Primary School and Kinlochu Primary School. And how big are the schools in terms of the pupil population? Um, they're quite small schools. Uh, Kinlochu has four children at the moment and Shieldig has 20 in the school and 11 in the nursery and we're set to go up. We're up over 30 uh, in the next session. And so having a small um, school, of course, has its pros and cons. I imagine that you um, know all your pupils really well. And if you want to implement any projects, then you can do it. But on the flip side, it's it's all up to you, I imagine. Yes, that, that would be true. I mean, I think that's one of the things that we really enjoy about small schools is that, you know, if a teacher or head teacher in this case wants to um, try something, you've sort of got the freedom to just go for it because you can bring the kids along with you if you've got a really good idea. 
but yes, you, you'd be very limited in resources coming from, you know, sort of more central places. And yeah, you, you, but that said, you've got the opportunity to access the community, which is always a vast source of knowledge. So that brings us on to the project that I'd really like for you to speak to us about, um, the Grow, Cook, Compost project. And so could you tell us about that, what it is and how it came about at your schools? Okay, so um, basically Education Scotland, who essentially are our governing body um, for education in Scotland, uh, they have a, a kind of food for thought fund, which uh, ultimately is a fund that helps support Scotland's Good Food Nation bill, which um, you know is in the works. But basically it is a fund for schools to access uh, you know, resources, physical resources to promote food education in schools. And I suppose it's to promote interdisciplinary learning and, you know, practitioner confidence in, in delivering different kinds of learning. And so basically I cooked up a, uh, a project based on something that I'm quite passionate about around a sort of a circular system, um, which... I think uh, you know is really relevant in schools and has great op- uh, is a great opportunity for learning. So basically, that we so we grow cook compost. So we grow our food, we cook it up and we eat it, and then we compost it to essentially grow more food. Which which makes perfect sense to you. I mean, there's your you know there's your local system right there in the school. Yeah, yeah. That that's I guess the idea, and I suppose. It stemmed in part, you know, I was sort of, after COVID, we're, we're obviously back in the schools and we've had things with cooks. We've had dramas not having a school cook for a period. And we've got a school cook in one of my schools. And, you know, there was just a huge amount of food waste at one point. And I think, you know, we, we thought about this as a staff and we thought, you know, gosh, this can't be right, children. So we did the food waste audit and you know, showing kids that, oh, look at all this waste. What could we even do with this? So, you know, the idea that we can compost our food waste and turn it into something, you know, essentially recycle it into something new, That I think that's a really inspirational idea for kids to understand, you know, the consequences. For example, you know, what we can do with what we don't eat and what, you know, how we get our food as well. I absolutely agree with you. And I think when we bring our attention to what we're wasting, we become much more aware about what we're consuming. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's it. We, we, we need to be faced with that at times. Yeah. And I think it's just an important lesson for everyone, children and adults that, you know, and it's been great here at, at, the, at, at Shielding in particular, where we've got the larger numbers, the school cooks completely on board and, well, her and I are just constantly having conversations about whether we've got the right amount of carbon and, you know, all these things. I mean, it gets a bit absurd. I think I think they all think I'm a bit uh, out there. But the kids are all on board with it, which is great. And they they go and collect the compost at the end of um, the lunch session and take it out. We've got a, we've got a tumbler for, so that we can compost hot food so it gets, you know, hot enough to compost cooked food which, um, yeah, so it's just fantastic. Um, can you tell us a bit about the, the practicality? So can we dig a little deeper in terms of what you actually do with the children, like at each stage, and how that works in the primary school? 
Okay, so basically, yeah, the project sort of takes on these three aspects, the grow, the cook, and the compost. So I'll start start with the um, the cook. Essentially, we, um, we do, with this grant from Education Scotland, we were able to purchase um, sort of sets of cooking equipment. So basically, we're, we're a small school. We don't have space for, we're small schools. We don't have space for um, cooking classrooms or anything like that. So what, what we've essentially got is four big sets of cooking equipment that we put in a box. And when it's cooking time, we can just basically lift them out into the classroom and all the resources are there. And then children can work in sort of cooperative, collaborative groups of three or four, um, you know, and work relatively independently with sort of facilitation by the teacher to achieve a recipe. And to do that, we're using mostly tabletop elements, you know, rather than ovens and things like that. So it's about making it work in the environment that we've got. And, and that's how we've done the cook side of things. And we've got lots of recipes that we've found online from, you know, Love Food, Hate Waste, and some of these websites that are appropriate for, um, you know, young children to older children. So within that, I also sort of made a bit of a curriculum, um, you know, to, to understand what skills are involved, specific skills are involved in, um, in cooking and to apply them to the relevant age group. Um, so, you know, for example, a younger child, I might have using grating and things like that, you know, skills that are perhaps age appropriate for them, whereas older children are doing the full full you know, complete meal recipe they're capable of from chopping and frying and, you know, everything. So we've tried to break it down so that can support teachers to make choices that challenge children um, and are appropriate for them. And giving them age-appropriate responsibility. Exactly, yeah, because, I mean, this is one of the things is cooking is a, can be a scary uh, experience for parents and teachers alike, you know, because um, you know, there's knives, um, yeah. there's danger. Children with People children with cutting things. Ah. Children, you know, <laughs> knives, but all you have to do is show them and work with them to be safe. Um, give them, I mean, with with knives in particular, we've worked on a couple of techniques, you know, one being a claw, you know, to hold something with a claw and chop from there. The other being make the bridge so that you uh, – hold something and your knife goes in between your finger and thumb to cut downwards. So, you know, it's just giving them those skills that, that so that they're confident and that you're also confident that they're not going to hurt themselves. <laughs> so moving on to compost. Yeah. So that after um, lunch, the children take it out, they take out the food scraps and they feed the compost. Yeah. So basically we bought one of these um, tumblers, which is raised off the ground and can, um, you know, needs turning once a week or so, uh, but basically it can handle cooked food, which is, of course, a bit harder to break down. But it needs, you know, the, the, the principles are the same and the kids understand that it needs 50% brown, you know, to, to match it up. Needs it. So we've got um, sawdust from the potter uh, who lives next door who has her own pottery kiln. She supplies us with sawdust. We can add that in. And, yeah, I mean, the odd time we've uh, we've messed it up, uh, I think it was in January, we came back and it was completely anaerobic. 
And I suppose people start to worry, oh gosh, the smell. But we went, we, we looked this up on the internet, what's, what's happened, why is it like this? And we could learn, oh, you know, we need more brown. We need, we need more dry stuff in there. Um, so Actually, that in itself is another learning opportunity as well, isn't it? Oh, it's problem solving, isn't it? And, and this is the thing, the teacher doesn't have to have all the answers all the time. They can sit it out with the child and, and learn alongside them, which I think is just great modelling. Have, have you got to use your compost to grow? Not yet, obviously. Like we're because this is um, just this year. Um, we're basically, you know, we've built a new garden, so we've used the used the fund. Essentially, has helped us purchase compost, and we should be ready to mulch uh, over the winter with the compost we've made. Um, but yeah, we haven't actually grown in it yet. Um, that would be the next stage, though. That should, we've, I mean, some is ready now to spread on. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll have a lot of it ready sort of for the end of the season so that we can, you know, put the beds down and hopefully grow some things over winter. Um, for the growing side, yeah, so we obviously got some money to invest in, um, you know, some raised beds, building things. And, and basically what we've done is um, we've allocated an area of the school that was kind of has been reclaimed back with the growth of the school, the front of the schoolhouse. And we've, we've designed that. We've got a local, um, a local a woman, woman from the village uh, who's worked with the kids before. She's a trained permaculture design um, specialist. So she, she was coming in and we went to her craft and looked at the design of things. And then she's helped us design this and, you know, working with the kids to choose the right plants for the right space. We've made a retaining wall and things for strawberries and, yeah, all sorts things can can i ask what you're growing at the moment so if i look out there there's loads of potatoes uh, i'm sort of looking out the window as we speak there's plenty of herbs strawberries i i i was encouraging the kids to to grow some purple top turnips because i i find them quite, i find them really fast you get some of the, and, and it is a hard one because obviously we're away over the summer so it's timing things so that they'll be all right when we come back. So, yeah, thinking about that. But the kids wanted pumpkins. You know, they like kids like the idea of Halloween and things like that. That they 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 wanted to have that input into what they grow and what they'd enjoy. So you know, kids always say Halloween, which I think's you know that's really appropriate. It's, it is important because it's um, it's engagement, isn't it? And once they're engaged and they, they see the benefits, they see the um, what they can do, then that's the next step, you know, going onwards from there. Okay, what can we do now? It just sounds fab, Tom. It sounds like a really great programme. And Yeah, we've done lots of kind of, you know, visits in a way to support this. We sort of, we, we went down to the Applecross Walled Garden and worked with the gardeners there. We, um, you know, we harvested apples at, on site there and made apple juice, you know, with the kids using all their skills. So we, we've tried to show them. I mean, it's been difficult with COVID and not being allowed to go places so much. And we've tried to connect up with things. But I think that that will continue because we really have a strong connection with the community and there's a couple of local businesses that have sort of lined up that we were going to go and visit and see, but weren't weren't able to. But that 
you know, that can be next year. That's no problem. Absolutely. And having that, having the connections, you know, when you've got the whole school involved and you've got parents involved, you've got the community involved, that's what really makes these projects sustainable and long lasting, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. I mean, we've had this, there's been a great thing happen as a result of this. The parents were so supportive of this whole project that they've gone and crowdfunded and raised money to build us a polytunnel up the back up the back of the school, you know, and we're going to use that as a further growing space. But also, you know, because space is so limited at the school that we're going to use help with sort of outdoor learning and branching out from there, you know, with that grow that food focus continuing. So I mean, you know, that's that's just a sign that people people think this type of learning is worthwhile for their children and they believe in it because. I've had nothing to do with raising this money, which has been fantastic. That's fantastic, Tom. We're going to have to leave it there. Just thanks very much for sharing all this with us and uh, good luck. What I took from speaking to David, Isabel and Tom was that education has the power to pull together all the threads needed to create a local food system in the Highlands. Those threads being inclusion, community, heritage, culture choice and therefore empowerment. My thanks of course go to David, Isabel and Tom for their inspiring contributions to this podcast episode. If you'd like to join the conversation please go to highlandgoodfood.scot where you can sign up for our newsletter, you can become a member and you can find out more about who's already involved in the Highland Good Food Partnership. You can also follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. So that just leaves me to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Bye for now.